What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Lodges Podcast. For those of you who may be new, this is a gaming and esports podcast where we host business professionals, streamers, pro esports players, and others who are working in the gaming industry. I am your host, Juan Rodriguez. Super excited that each and every one of you guys are tuning into today's episode. My guest is Sarah Machado, who is a Studio Types recruiter over in the UK. Um, so this is a really cool episode. Uh, we definitely have not had anybody on the podcast that works in the recruiting part of the industry. Um, so as you guys know, I'm always on here trying to bring on people that have different perspective and can, you know, talk about their lens of, of the industry and kind of what they're doing. And so this was great with Sarah. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys maybe haven't heard about roles of recruiters and, and kind of how they utilize or how they're utilized and what their impact is in the industry. But I think that you're going to really find that they have a lot of hats that they wear. Um, they play a really important role for people. Um, and it's it's pretty cool how much of an impact and, and how important they are to the industry as a whole for you know numerous people. So you'll see that in the episode. Uh, now when we dive into it with Sarah, it was a pleasure to have her on. Um, before we jump into it, Real quick, I just want to tease for all of you guys that have been following the podcast for a little while. We have something very special coming at episode 50. So again, this is episode 48. We'll have episode 49 next week. And then on episode 50 will be a solo episode by myself because uh, we'll be announcing numerous things that, that I'm excited about both on the podcast side and also on the business side with Lodges Financial. So uh, a lot coming up as episode 50. Be on the lookout for that. I'm excited to share it with you guys. Um, but with all that being said, we're going to shift the focus back to today's episode again episode 48 with Sarah Machado. She is a studio types recruiter. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Well, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Lodges podcast. This is episode 48. And with us, we have Sarah Machado, which Sarah, I should have asked you. I don't even know if I pronounced the last name correctly. Um, it's not it's, an easy one. Uh, it's Machado. Machado. Okay. Yes. Um, and Sarah is a studio types, a recruiter for studio types, which is a company that um, focuses on recruiting in the gaming industry. And so she has different areas, um, recruiting and programming, art, production, and design roles. So Sarah, like, you know, we were just talking. I'm, I'm excited to have you on here. Yes, I was talking, this is my first podcast, so uh, honestly, just very exciting in general, especially during lockdown, just feels fresh to do something new. <laughs> no, definitely. I, I mean, I, like I just told you, I'm excited because podcasting for me, and I'll be interested to hear at the end, since this is your first time doing it, like what your experience is like, but I think like I told you on the phone when we first talked, it's kind of like an escape for me because there's a lot going on in the world, a lot of crazy things happening. Um, but on here, we just kind of get to, to dive into it and, and it's fun. So I'm excited for you. Perfect. Excited too. <laughs> well, the best way to start and, and as everyone that's been listening for a while and, and tunes into the episodes know, we always kick it off just um, learning about you. So if you just want to like give us a little bit of information about, you know, where you're from, um, a bit, of a, a bit about your background, a bit about your work experience and, and just kind of let the listeners know who you are. So, yeah, as I mentioned, my name is Sara Machado. So, um, 22 years old, kind of video game enthusiast slash recruiter for a company called Stereotypes. Um, yes, yeah, a couple of quick facts about me. Um, Brazilian, I'm from Rio, so best place to be from. Um, as of this morning, I was top 235th uh, play Inks, uh, player, top player in the world. So, that's pretty cool. Probably the highest I've been so far. Okay. Um, I'm also a writer and a pole dancer whenever I have free time. And as a quick, uh, kind of like interesting thing, I've learned English at the age of eight, play an Australian online RPG called the Mix Master. So, so yeah, that's a little bit about, about me in terms of kind of where I came from and what I was doing before what I'm doing now. Um, it's a little bit funny because my educational background is a bit different and has not a lot to do with gaming really, but <laughs> I started studying international defense and strategic management in Brazil. 
and then I've moved here and I did war studies at King's College London. So yeah, not not really related to games at any point, but funny enough, the reason why I was so obsessed with war and the military growing up was because I spent most of my time playing simulations and real-time strategy games. So it's kind of full circle in a way. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who would imagine that playing Age of Empires would have such a big influence in my life, but here we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so kind of uh, by the time I moved to London in 2017, um, I had a couple of years already with experience in marketing, event planning, project management. So I got a job as a marketing and business development manager for two small restaurants in London Bridge. Again, not very related to games at all, but everyone starts somewhere. <laughs> And yeah, one of my responsibilities there was kind of recruiting the chefs in front of the house. And I actually quite enjoyed doing that. Up in, even today, my favorite thing about recruitment is being able to talk with people, understand about their journeys, what they've been up to, what they're doing. And I just really find that interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so kind of fast forwarding a, for, forwarding a bit, uh, I was working as a recruiter before procurement and supply chain industry, which is honestly really, really boring. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very big agency, kind of what you imagine a recruitment agency being a hundred to 200 people seated in one floor, all talking on the phone at the same time, a little, a little bit chaotic. And it, yeah, even though I, I do enjoy recruiting a lot, it was too KPI focused and every candidate and employee was just a number. It's not really how I like to work. Not really, it, honestly, it was just a horrible environment to be in. And <laughs> Yeah, and then thank God I found stereotypes, kind of my saving grace, because I get to do what I really like, which is recruitment for an industry that I'm very passionate about, industry that had so much to do with who I am as a person, even the language that I'm speaking right now. So this feels really good to, you know, eight years old, learning English, playing video games up to the way now to be recruiting and helping gaming studios to create their teams. This is fantastic. No, and that's exciting. I think that's what, and part of the podcasting too, why I love it so much is you get to just hear these cool stories about people. Like, that's really awesome that you learned English via video games. Um, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing and, and pretty cool. So I wanted to ask, what game was it for, that you're like ranked very highly in? Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, it was Plague Inc. So okay. it's Plague Inc. Evolve. Now they kind of changed the name of the game a little bit. But yeah, you're basically a disease and you can be a bacteria or a fungus or a parasite or a neurox. And your goal is to uh, contaminate the whole humanity and eventually kill them all, which is very close <laughs> to reality nowadays. Right. <laughs> That's why I'm so obsessed with it, I'll say. Uh, yeah, I used to play when I was really, I think when I was 13 or something on my phone and they made the big, like a PC version of it, I think it was even blocked in China because of how real things are. But it's honestly a fantastic game. You should definitely try it out. No, that's interesting. That's uh, that's so funny that that's kind of the scenario we're living <laughs> in right now. But that's awesome. Um, well, kudos to you for being highly ranked. I know, especially for <laughs> leaderboards, that takes a lot of hours. So I'm sure you're grinding it pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I'm using at least some of the information that's happening nowadays and listening to the news and applying that to my gameplay. So, so far, so good. Interesting. Yeah, no, interesting. Um, <laughs> well, something I want to ask you because, you know, and, and a lot of times this, you know, like I told you, we did a panel. It was, I believe, so almost two weeks ago, and it was on jobs and recruiting and, and kind of a, a lot of the things that you do. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, some people do grow up kind of, I think, in the gaming industry, whether it's, you know, through grassroots teams and then get onto other roles with like, you know, bigger organizations or, or companies. But I do think a lot of people also, you know, like yourself or, or like myself, you know, you maybe grew up with video games, but you didn't come from it at a, as a professional standpoint. Um, so I wanted to ask, you know, like, how has the transition to your new role been, you know, now in the gaming experience? Obviously, you grew up. Um, it being very close to you as a kid, but how has that experience been, you know, coming from a, as a professional standpoint from not in the video game industry to now being in it? It's quite interesting because it's such a different view being, you know, just a player and kind of understanding the game. It doesn't matter how obsessed with you are with the game. When you kind of go to the kind of the back of the scenes and you understand how they're making about the studios and the stories and the people that are making the games, it's almost like you're playing something for the first time again. 
this is almost like it's, it's gossip it's fantastic it's really really interesting <laughs> and especially because i am a gamer and i knew most of the studios that we are currently working with even though we never played their games directly uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that just love to watch streams so for me it just felt like home and then yeah the, the kind of the way the, the the work my position works is that we have initial chats with the studio heads and hiring managers so we kind of understand a little bit about uh, what the project that they are doing now, how many people they're thinking about hiring, which positions, kind of what is the, the range for salaries. Um, and then we dig deep into kind of work culture and what kind of person they want for the team, what kind of person the team needs, why the last person on that position left. So it's just so much they have to understand around the team that not necessarily people will tell you directly, but you kind of have to be there paying attention to it. And then is then the other side that you go talk with amazing game developers from all around the world that have worked on games that I love, games that I've played. And yeah, just chatting with them for 30 minutes about what they want to do next and what they have done in the past and how I can find a studio that just has a similar motivation to that, a place where they can kind of walk towards the same way. And yeah, the, the thing that I really like and that I find it very different from uh, my last recruiting job is that there's a lot of um, kind of care with the candidate is the feeling that you are working with them and not so much for the studio itself, because that's the truth. So the person that I'll be in touch with the most is my candidate. The person that I'm going to be preparing for the interviews is the candidate. The person that as soon as I find anything that I can share, I'm just going to go on LinkedIn and probably 3 a.m. to chat something like, oh, have you seen this new trailer? Or have you seen this documentary that's out? So... I like how this job gives me this opportunity because it's in an industry that I'm truly passionate about. If it wasn't, there's no way that I would wake up 3 a.m. to talk about supply chain with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you, so do you, and I was going to ask you this, with the recruiting you do, is it just locally there in, in London and the UK or do you recruit globally as well? So that's the coolest part and actually the most challenging part of it all is that if you, if you ever talk with a recruiter, always ask where they're from because they are most likely from London. Every single recruiter is from here, even though we are recruiting for everywhere across the globe. So uh, for us, mainly, we work, we have around, just in Montreal, six or seven studios that we work with, and then a couple of others in Canada, a couple of studios in the US, around Seattle area. We work a lot in Europe as well. We have a studio in New Zealand. We have studios in India. We have studios in China. And most of my job, and again, the most challenging part is to kind of chat with the candidate, understand their motivations and understand if relocating is actually something they can do more than just, you know, oh, I would love to travel somewhere. I would love to live somewhere. But because I myself have relocated uh, internationally, I know how much it entails and how hard it is and how much you have to research everything. So my job uh, is always to keep that in their minds. Like, I know that you want to go there, but let, let's think about your family. So are your kids in kind of school age? Have you thought about, you know, if you're going to change them in the middle of the year, or if you're going to wait into the next year, or your partner, can they do their jobs in that location? And, and then you're also comparing, you know, uh, how expensive is to live in that place, how expensive is to rent in that place. And you also have to negotiate with the studio and the candidate, you know, relocation packages. So it's so much harder, especially because you have, you're relocating people from probably the last, my last candidate, he moved from India to Montreal, just oh, wow. quite a big difference. And making and thinking that I was the one reaching out to him saying, well, I seen your profile. I have this amazing opportunity. I think this, you could be really interesting because you've done this, this and that. And this studio is looking to do this, this, and that. So you have the first conversation. He wasn't even thinking about moving uh, studios. At the end, he was like, yeah, I definitely want to sign up. It was, uh, I think, three or four interview stages. By the end, he was moving with his entire family. So it's just such a, such a big responsibility as a recruiter, I think, to make sure that you're listening to both sides. Because the last thing you want is to have someone that you relocated from India in Montreal, very miserable with their jobs, and the game studio not happy with how much they are producing. And that's kind of, that's a little bit on your fall as well. So I think, yeah, that's definitely the challenges part because we recruit everywhere for everywhere. We actually barely do, not barely, but we do way less inside London than we do in Canada, I would say. 
Wow. That's interesting. I mean, you really, like you're describing, I mean, you get to be a, a play a big role in a person's life, honestly, which is, which is really cool, but I can understand too, like how that could be exciting. But then also you're like, man, what if I, what if I move this person to a whole different country and it, you know, doesn't work out or something like that. So. It happens. Honestly, it happens. Uh, I remember talking with the candidate and if I'm not mistaken, he was from the UK, but he was living in Vancouver and he was talking with me after changing jobs three months ago or something like that. And whenever you see someone kind of jumping from a job to another with less than six months, you always want to make sure you understand what was happening because it's not necessarily that it's the, the person's fault, but you need to make sure that you're not going to put them in another studio that the same situation is going to happen. So you need to understand what went wrong first. And yeah, it was basically that. It was a recruiter, sent him over, he relocated, he barely knew enough about the studio, about the position he was doing, about the city. He didn't, uh, well, the city was very culturally speaking different from what he was used to. So he couldn't make friends. He wasn't feeling comfortable. And then he was talking to me to relocate inside Canada because he got a visa. So it's like, imagine the, the trouble of relocating from your, your country somewhere else, hating your job, hating the weather, hating the culture, and having to talk with another recruiter to relocate you to another studio. So there's so many steps that I personally feel, personally feel very responsible for, but that I talk with recruiters that sometimes they just don't see it like that at all. So it just really depends on who you're talking with. That's why it's so important to make sure that you do your own research as well. Right. No, definitely. I mean, I can, like I said, I can only imagine that'd be, that'd be kind of crazy, but that's cool. I think the the bigger point though, is that's cool that you get to almost, I guess, be that middleman, right. For like listening to their side, understanding, you know, what they can do, what their experiences are. And then also working with your company to make sure you fill the roles. I mean, I feel like that'd be definitely a, a position that I'm, I'm sure keeps you busy and isn't, isn't boring. I'm sure it's nonstop with, with lots of different things going on. So um, always something going on, especially with now coronavirus and the situation because of the whole relocation and visas. I have two candidates. Well, two, they already had the offers from the studio in Canada, but they can't relocate because no one's relocating. They also can't start working remotely because if they leave that current company, then they lose that visa for the country they are on. So there's so many people there in this weird coronavirus limbo that there's nothing you can do other than waiting no it's I, yeah i didn't even think about that i can see how that goes <laughs> well it's tough with corona right now there's a lot of different you know whether it is a job like that where you might lose your visa or if you know unfortunately you do lose your job with everything going on i can imagine that also can be tough for people right now um but i so i wanted to ask and i should probably should add this ask this at the beginning um but for those listening that kind of have an idea the roles you recruit can you kind of um let us know like what specific roles you recruit for in the gaming industry. So uh, we have, we are working with around 42 different studios. Most of them are more PC and console, but we do have a couple of mobile things, but mainly what I have been focusing on is uh, programmers. And by that I'm talking about tools, programmers, gameplay system, mainly systems. So hard to find system, system programmers. If anyone home is listening, looking for a new job, please let me know. Uh, <laughs> just doing a little bit of promotion here. Um, artists as well. I work quite a lot with artists. I just actually heard that I closed a deal with a senior environment artist again in Montreal. So very, very exciting. Um, designers. So I really like to work with designers because out of everyone that I'm talking with in terms of game developers, Designers are the most chatty, amazing, interesting people. They know a lot about everything. And I think because you're working with narrative and you're working with designing how things would function in a game, they are just great to talk with. They know all the secrets. So definitely designers uh, and producers as well. So producers, animators, and senior management, depending on the studio, depending on that project as well. So kind of everything uh, on disciplines inside the main core game development team in the studio. Not so much marketing, not so much audio, even though it's something that we're starting to do more often now. But yeah, I would say design, programming, art, and producers. What does the, I was kind of interested to learn about this, because I think, 
you know, a lot of times, and I, I've spoken about this before in past podcasts and, and just with people, because I think a lot of times, you know, people look at the industry and they kind of look at the the flashy positions and the ones that kind of, I guess, get you in front of the camera a lot or are spoken about a lot. Um, mm. But for, for roles like this, where it sounds like, obviously, you know, you're kind of on the back end, you know, maybe creating the games, designing the games, um, really piecing it together. What does that job market look like? Like, is there a lot of roles available for people that, you know, maybe are in another industry, but this would interest them? Is it a pretty saturated market? And I don't know if you can you can speak on that at all, but I thought it'd be interesting to ask. It, that's the thing. It really depends on the position. So in terms of programmers, uh, I don't think the market would ever be saturated of programmers. It's actually so hard to find, specifically because... Um, in video games, when they are looking for programmers, it's very, very specific. So they are looking for someone to do uh, a movement or a mechanism for this specific thing in this specific project that could be for a type of game that, you know, you're not going to do somewhere else, like a, a war simulation, for example. So mm -hmm. the, the hard thing is to find the right programmer for the job as well as find the programmer that's interested in the project, has had experience in the project and can work quite independently, specifically now because it will be a remote position until the end of the year. So programmers are not saturated at all, specifically if you have Unreal and C++, which is mainly what you need for any kind of PC console position, that would be it. And if you want to focus on mobile development, I will go with Unity and C Sharp. And that would just kind of help you to get through it um artists artists is very very interesting because it depends on the type of artist you would have a big studio like ubisoft for example mm -hmm. they will have a very specific environmental environment artist only for vegetation so it's one artist literally just painting and doing 3d leaves for the whole day wow. and and then you have a really small indie studio that you need a, a generalist artist that can do it all so the problem with artists is that most small studios want someone that has a big triple A game experience, but at the same time, those people are very, very specialized. So you need to make sure that you're hiring someone that, of course, they can do that very specialized job, but can work well in a team, can take more responsibility and can do more of a general, general work. So for artists, it really depends on what you would like to work with. If you prefer, you know, big studios and things like that, that's fine. Specialize, build a really, really good portfolio, go there and that'll be perfect. If you prefer kind of like an indie vibe, indie games, indie projects, mm -hmm. focus on being a general artist, showing a little bit of everything you can do on your portfolio. So that would be the go-to. Um, for designers, also really depends on the project and everything. The, the, only, the only thing with them is that because they are also very specific. The thing with game development is most roles are very specific. <laughs> but with designers, usually they are looking for someone that has worked in that kind of game in the past. Because, you know, a, a narrative designer or a combat designer needs to be... If you're going to work in a multiplayer RPG game, you have to have some multiplayer experience before. So it, it's... If you're kind of joining the, the industry, make sure that you kind of understand what you would like to do and what you would like to do in the future and then build your portfolio and your CV to that. And then it doesn't matter how saturated the market is. There's so many different games. There's so many different studios. I guarantee that you would find something that would really appreciate that kind of experience and that kind of motivation. It, it, you know, I've spoke to like, you know, we try to bring on or I try to bring on people that have done different roles in the industry, right? Because one of my goals with the podcast is to kind of educate people, give them different perspectives of really that everything's out there. And, you know, as you were just kind of going through, you know, what different roles there are and, and kind of, you know, some tips on what kind of experience you need. It's just interesting because I've yet to have someone on that has anything to do with game development and of course while that's not your role you know you recruiting these positions and filling them um it's interesting to hear about because we don't really talk about game development or anything like that in the past on the podcast so it's just crazy to think about when you're putting a game together how many different roles there are how many different people you have working towards the project i mean it's pretty it's interesting to hear about that's really cool and that was kind of my the same experience i had because coming as a player and then sitting down my first day of work uh, learning about all those studios, all their projects, what they are doing, how they are doing, how big are the teams, how long is the timeline for each project. 
you just realize it's so much bigger than you think. And yeah, after my first day and my work, I stopped complaining about games not being put in the market sooner. And I think that has, has been the biggest learning moment for me. It was like, yeah, you know what? They, they have plenty on their hands. You will not be complaining on Twitter anymore. Right. How much, how long, <laughs> and, and I don't know if you have like a direct answer for this, but for like a AAA game, I mean, how long have you seen, like, or is there like an average of, of how long it takes for, for certain games to be created? We really, really depends because especially nowadays what you see as a, you can be a small team and still make a, a AAA quality game. Okay. And obviously if you have a small team, you all will take longer to do it or your game will have Oh, you know, it all will take longer to do it. Or you're going to have pretty nasty crush hours or your game is going to be simple. You have to compromise somewhere. So that that's kind of always that into your mind. But if you look for games, for example, from uh, CD Projekt Red, so Cyberpunk, which is probably the most weighted game for the last two years or something like that, the game is going to be fantastic and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be beautiful. But the fans have been waiting, if I'm not mistaken, for around three years now. And what I always find it very interesting about that is that if you spend three years developing a game, the technology, the trends, what people enjoy playing and what people are doing will change quite dramatically in three years. So it's almost like always playing catch with what you're doing and it's still making it relevant to the market, still making relevant to your, your fan base. And as it turns out, most of, not most of the time, but it, it does happen that you spend three years developing, three, four years developing a game and it's not popular. People don't like it or people don't get it or it's just something very similar just came out and it was better. So it right. honestly with times and games is so complicated and I would love to hear with someone that actually, you know, the person that sits down and think, okay, how long do we need to do this? Because I find it so interesting. How do you possibly know? <laughs> Right. No, I can imagine sitting like like you're saying, if you were able to like sit in with someone or, or like, I guess, a planning meeting of, you know, you're starting from ground zero and, and you're beginning to build a game up, whether, you know, it's a, a series of games and you're like on the second or third or if it's a new game, I can only imagine how interesting it'd be to, to sit in on those conversations. Um, mm -hmm. But no, that's that's really interesting. So for you, then a lot of the roles that you recruit for the most part, it sounds like these are people that have had past experience in the gaming industry um, because they need to have worked on, on prior games. Is that true for the most part? It's honestly the saddest part and something that I'm actively trying to think of new ways of bringing new people to it. Unfortunately, studios want people that have AAA experience on their portfolios, on their, on their CVs. But how do you get that if you're joining the industry? So unfortunately, it, most of the time, the way to get in the industry is starting as a QA tester. And that's what a lot of people do. And then after doing that, I just kind of go, you know, or programming or design, mostly design. But if you don't have any sort of experience, I would recommend trying to go for like a smaller studio, maybe something indie, because then they need someone that can do loads of things, that can wear different hats. Instead of someone that's, you know, very, very specialized in this tiny thing and that's all you're going to do for this entire project. So, yeah, if you if this is, you know, just starting, make sure that you get all the tools that you need and you start learning with them and posting all your development and all your journey on ArtStation or on LinkedIn even. So, like, the problem that I find the most is that people don't keep their LinkedIn updated. And even though LinkedIn is not, you know, the sexiest platforms ever, people do get hired through it. Most of my... My searches are through LinkedIn. So making sure that even if you don't have a lot of experience with gaming, every single content and every single thing that you put in relation with your experience, make sure that you're drawing a line with gaming. Or, you know, if you're doing that because you're interested in something that you read or you played or you're doing that because you wanted to, I don't know, you just kind of saw this game and you thought it was interesting, therefore you tried to learn it at home and this is a little a little thing that you put it together just for your portfolio. That's all fine. As long as you make a, a, a line between what you're doing and what you want to do, make sure that people know what you're working towards and what's your inspiration, things that kind of got you to that point, and make sure you put all of that on your LinkedIn. Because the way that LinkedIn works, and especially with recruitment, is 
the job title is going to be the most important thing. So something that I, it, it makes my, my, my job really, really hard is that different studios call different, call the same position, different names. And that happens all the time. <laughs> so if you would have a Ubisoft, for example, uh, you wouldn't call them assistant engineer. Most of the time you call them maybe a technical architect and they have a lot of overlapping things on that portfolio. And when I am overlapping things on that CV and when I, when I'm looking for a specific candidate for a position with a studio, the studio itself is looking for one, two, three things. So I need to make sure that on your previous experience and what you're doing in the past, you do have those three things, even though that was not the main thing that you're doing. So then it's like, oh, okay. So you've done a little bit of that before. We kind of draw a line to all, all the other things that you have done that will add up to that until we make a CV that's strong enough to, you know, be competitive. So it's, it's, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking on the first interview to understand, okay, so this is all you have done in the past. How do I make this very relevant for this specific position? And that is something that honestly is really hard for me and it's really hard for anyone that has ever wrote a CV, I'm sure, because writing CVs is very, very miserable, but it makes all the difference. So <laughs> yeah, that yeah. definitely makes all the difference. No, well, I'm sure matching, like you're saying, you know, like matching somebody with the, the that project or, or that role, um, especially if like, you know, studios are looking for somebody very specifically, uh, I can imagine that can be sometimes a long road, like, like, like you're saying and, and finding the right match for them. Exactly. And, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, it's always fun because on, on my first interviews with, with candidates or anyone that's kind of looking for a job or checking the market, I always ask what they like to play, uh, what kind of games they're interested in, the size of the, the company that they want to work with. And it's funny that specifically with artists, not necessarily the things that they work with are the things that they play. And that is something that in my mind, when I entered this industry, I was like, oh, well, they probably would like to work with something that they play and they enjoy. And usually it's the other way around. You know, if you work with something you play, it stopped being fun. <laughs> so I have a lot yeah. of artists like, oh, you know, I love playing this, this and this, this very, very realistic, uh, first person shooter games. And then when I ask, okay, so what kind of game would you like to work with? And then they go all the other way around. Like, oh, I would like to do some more stylized art. So if you have anything more organic <laughs> and for me, at least it was a bit surprising in the beginning, because even though you, you read someone's portfolio and you see that profile and, and CV, and you think you have an idea of what that person wants. You can only truly understand by chatting with them and seeing what could actually interest. And that's what a lot of recruiters don't do. And then you just end up sending someone to a job they don't want to do an interview that they are not prepared for. And the studio probably is asking for things that that person doesn't even have because a lot of recruiters just don't give the time to chat with people and understand what they actually want to do. And that's the most important thing of the job, I would say. And that's what I like to do the most. So it's quite, quite fun. No, that's interesting. I mean, I, I would have thought the same as you, right? Like if, I don't know, if you like Fortnite, for example, maybe <laughs> you want to work on a game like that. Or if you like League of Legends, you know, I don't know. that I find that interesting too that, you know, and, and I think you explained it well, though. Maybe it's because that's what you're playing, right? So when you're working, maybe you want to do something different so that when you go back to play your game, you're not burnt out from it or thinking, man, I've been I've been working on this kind of game for months now right or something like that but I, I would have thought the same as you i would have thought maybe you would go for whatever your preference of playing is so that's that's definitely interesting to hear about it's a little bit crazy isn't it and then if, if you you know just just join the industry you're a recruiter that's learning or you're not that personal with your candidates that is the type of thing that you're not going to get so you're just wasting your time wasting loads of other people's times towards something that's never going to get into completion because no one's really interested in that. <laughs> so yeah, making sure to talk with people and understanding what they want is so important in this job. Yeah, no, it seems like it's a lot of thorough communication and, and really getting to know people and, and having those conversations. Um, but I think it's unique, you know, like, I mean, like I said earlier, I think that's awesome that you get to, for a lot of people play a pretty significant moment in their life if they you know especially if they're shifting from from one country to the other or moving 
somewhere big. I don't know. I feel like that's a that's a pretty important and cool role to be a part of. Um, well, uh, I, I think. Oh, sorry. You go. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, the only thing that I was kind of uh, complimenting is that in this job as well, because we work with a lot of uh, studios and we are effectively agencies, so we're working with loads of different games and a lot of different people, and you have some teams that we are less in touch with and they are more like, well, we need this person with those specifications, this is the salary range, uh, this is the time that we have to find it, this is the fee if you find that person and that's it. And then you have other studios that you have, you know, the Monday you have a call with them and they will explain everything about the project. What is their art direction? What kind of person they are looking for? And then as one of our clients uh, is an exclusive client and this year from January, if I'm not mistaken, they were hiring 13 people. And out of those 13 people, we hired eight of that team. So if you think hi, putting eight people that you picked on a team and that team is going to make a game your impact on that game is huge like you're finding the men slash woman power to put that game into production and in, hopefully in two or three years you're going to go there and play it so for me i'm just kind of waiting for that full circle moment to come close and i'm like wow i'm playing a game that i've re i found half of the team right and it's just really rewarding that's that's a really unique experience too i feel like i i, I hadn't thought of it like that that's really amazing. and so for you for people listening you've been recruiting for you you shifted pretty recently so how long have you been recruiting now in, in the gaming industry for these roles uh so for the gaming industry i've i think last august if i'm not mistaken okay. yeah it's almost a year now it'll be almost a year so but yeah, you around... get to really see like a, a a game then that you've recruited for actually be produced and, and published and out there. Have you had one happen yet? Or are you waiting, like you're saying, for that, you know, two to three years to go by? Yeah, not yet, unfortunately. It feels like uh, I'm, I'm going to be waiting for a bit because because we don't do much of our work with mobile games, which tends to be, you know, faster. It has a, a shorter product cycle. So you're mm -hmm. shipping a new mobile game every three months. Uh, that's not what happens with PC and console games, especially now that, you know, we release a game and you're still getting patches and corrections every month. So it's not a job that one ends and it's not a short job either. So it's probably going to take around two or three years until I see it, but I'm going to be so over the moon when it happens. Like, I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> no, definitely. That'll be an exciting. You'll have to celebrate the that day when your first, you know, group of people that you put on a project finish it. That'll be really exciting. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> well, I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, definitely wanted to cover everything in, in, in studio types and everything you're doing as a recruiter um, and dive into that. And I think, you know, for, for anybody listening, especially if you're looking for these roles uh, that Sarah's recruiting in, I think she provided some really good advice, especially if, you know, you're someone that's neutered to the industry. Um, but something else I want to chat with you about that that you're a part of is Women in Games. Um, and you're an ambassador for them. And, and I thought that was really awesome um, and unique. So if I don't know, I want to talk about it. if you just want to tell us a bit about, you know, what Women in Games is, what's the mission, um, what sort of work is done. Um, I think that'd be really awesome to hear about. Of course. Uh, yeah. So Women in Games was an organization that as soon as I entered the industry, I was really kind of like chasing them, having a look on the women that were part of it, if they were just strictly people that work with game development or if, you know, us operation people could kind of join in. And I remember sending up at the time of just finishing writing an article. So I've messaged the, one of the people in the board with a few articles that I wrote, a little bit of my experience, a little bit of what I was doing. And uh, yeah, they were quite interested. I think I joined with in the beginning, maybe it was December, not quite sure when, but together with other 20 girls, which was fantastic. So right now we are over 200 uh, ambassadors from 36 different countries, which is a lot. And our mission is kind of empowering women and the LGBTQ plus QI plus community as well and allies in the gaming industry. Um, I think for me, it was quite close to my heart because I'm, I'm really big on kind of representation and diversity and, and gender studi studies as well in my university. So. No, being a player and being a woman playing games since I was eight, I know exactly what kind of community and environment and unfortunately very often toxic community environments we're talking about. But 
I wasn't that. It just is very different when you go with the game development side and less of, you know, people that are playing the games because you would assume it will be slightly different, but the truth is it's still quite male, straight and white, which, uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are making games that are supposed to reach, you know, everyone, if that's a game for everyone, shouldn't, you know, people that are playing be represented in the people that are making the games? You're going to have yeah. different storylines and narratives. And for me, that's really, really important. So I kind of chase them around. Um, and the cool thing that we do is that other than having ambassadors in different countries making events, kind of local, small events, we also have kind of uh, partnerships with companies. So Outplay, 2K, Creative Assembly, Rockstar, Ubisoft, Sumo Digital, Barclays, they're all kind of... Uh, partners with women in games as well so the cool thing about it as soon as you know the pandemic is over is that we get to throw really cool events in those places if we want we can throw our own events and the events could be as small as you know people playing together or just having a chat about how to build a better portfolio to really big networking events so it could be a little bit about everything but with at least my focus being on reaching out to women and allies that are kind of just joining the industry. Because if you, you already kind of have your foot on the door, that is slightly easier. And then of my normal position, my normal job, that is something that I can help you find a position. But if you're still trying to get in and you're a woman or if you're from any kind of unprivileged group or kind of minority, that's what I want to do because I want to play games that show different stories. I want to play games that, you know, talk about this girl moving from Brazil to London and trying to do something. I think it's very personal for me. And because I am working as a recruiter and that is my responsibility, I, I build teams. I was starting to think, you know, kind of researching a lot on what is the current demographics of the, the industry at the moment. And it wasn't fantastic. So even though women, this is like all the numbers are from a research I saw from 2017. Uh, but yeah, even though we are 52% of all the players, only 23% of all the game developers in 2017 were women. And only 5% of them were transgender or non-binary. And then if you look in terms of ethnicity and race, only 1% of game developers in the world are African or African-American which is just insane. It's absolutely insane. So kind of my, I don't see as, um, I kind of see as a second job really, is to make sure I'm changing that, to make sure that I'm not only creating and finding good teams, creating good games, but changing a little bit about the demographics of the industry. Because, you know, if you look 30 years ago, people playing games and people building games, they were not look, they didn't look like me. And they didn't look like a lot of people. And that is starting to change. So I see like this is one of my responsibilities as well, specifically because I recruit for companies that I need to have, you know, my eyes open. I need to know what's going on. I need to know the problems. And then I need to use all of that to make, you know, I use the resources and the knowledge I have to help people to get into the industry and see a job with game development as something that's possible, as something that you can do. So that's, yeah, it's a little bit about why I'm doing this and what I'm trying to do. But honestly, with this pandemic in the middle of my year, that was a little bit distracting. But we'll, we'll go back to normal schedule once this is over. Right. No, well, and I mean, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about it. And, and I think you're, you know, right on the money that for you to be a part of it, I think you provide a lot of leverage because since you're in a position that recruits and and kind of you can have an impact on you know, adding more diversity and inclusion in the gaming industry and then be a part of something like this that's also focusing on that. I mean, I think for you to be a part of it and to be having had two of those roles, um, I mean, I couldn't think of a per better person to be in a role like that that's in, whether it be in women in games or another, you know, organization that's focusing on diversity and inclusion. Um, you've kind of got the prime, the prime first job to do it to, to make an impact on them. True, and I kind of fell into that. And well, even though I didn't plan to be in this position, I do take the responsibility quite seriously. So I, I need I need to make my pass. I just absolutely need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what are and i was curious and i think you might have touched on some of them so just if i'm if this is repetitive just let me know but being an ambassador i guess how did how did that role come up and and kind of what does that role entail did did they pursue you to be an ambassador did you apply to be an ambassador um just for maybe anyone that's listening and and it's interesting to them yeah of course so uh i applied to be an ambassador if i'm not mistaken i think they have on the website as well it's just a form you filled it up you explain uh why you think you should be an ambassador what you can do what is your position inside the industry or if you're trying to enter the industry and yeah it's just pretty straightforward you go to the website you sign up you fill the form and then um usually they have a chat with you over email and then that's it and then you have a couple of responsibilities of course which is no, I have to host at least one event a year. And it could be anything from helping people to build portfolios or, or kind of telling them how recruitment processes work, how to change a couple of things on their LinkedIn, or it could be, you know, game nights. It could be pretty much anything as long as you are networking with people in the industry, making sure that you're reaching out more women and, you know, bringing them to the industry with you, just kind of like a mentorship way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a little bit of what, what we do. No, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool that you get to, I mean, that's pretty awesome. That you get to, you know, host an event like that. I mean, on, on behalf of them, but that being an ambassador, cause I know sometimes with ambassador roles, like some of them can be really involved. Some of them can't be. So that's awesome that with them, like you guys actually get to put on something and, and be the host of it and, and kind of, you know, teach people about different things and, and things like that. So I think that's really awesome. Um, you know, something, and we've talked about diversity and inclusion in the past on the podcast with a, with a few handful of different guests. Um, what, from your perspective, again, because I think it's always important to see how, you know, different people in different companies and roles, what their perspective of it is, you know, for companies like Studiotypes or maybe other recruiting agencies within the video game industry or in esports, um, you know, what are things that you're seeing that, that people are doing or, or what are you things that you think they're important to uh, continue to increase uh, diversity inclusion, whether that's women or minorities um, or, or whatever the case may be, kind of what does that look like to you? Uh, it's a complicated topic because not a lot of studios and not a lot of, a lot of companies really are open to have a kind of open conversation about the topic. So you would have some studios that would say, you know, we would prefer a woman for this position or out of all of those people that we need to hire, we would like to focus these many positions on women, but not necessarily uh, the role itself, more as in we would like to hire that many women or that many uh, different people from different ethnicities. So it tends to be a little bit, not quota based, but the companies, they understand they need to make their, their teams more inclusive and more diverse, mm-hmm. but it, it, th- that is kind of the problem, you know, it's a touchy subject. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to, don't know how to help and don't know what to do. So therefore, when it comes to a point like, okay, so we are building this thing. What do you have in mind? They just don't want to talk about specific issues. So it always kind of comes from the recruitment side as well, because what we do is advising big studios like, okay, so, you know, for this position, um, how about we look for some people that not necessarily have worked with AAA, but have done this position on, let's say, a software company or something that's slightly connected with games. So as recruiters, we are always trying to advise companies and how to make more, how to make that teams more inclusive, more diverse, but also giving chance to people that are not the normal uh, profile that they would hire. So for us, it's always kind of trying to open up their worlds and burst their little bubbles. And like, oh, we have a lot of other talent that could be good for this if you give a chance. So it's always kind of like negotiating with both sides. Like, well, if you give them an interview, then they can maybe surprise you with this and that, and you don't know. And with the closer relationship you have with the studio, which is what we try to do, the well, more seriously they take our opinions and more seriously they take our expertise and our knowledge. So at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm there negotiating and trying to open their horizons. I need to know what I'm talking about and understand the demographics and understand how to help. And it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make sense to send someone that is not perfect for the job, independently right. of gender, of race or anything. But as a woman in games, what I'm trying to do is to even out the, the floor. So 
Yeah, it's, it's complicated. As a recruiter, especially if you're working with LinkedIn recruiter to do your, your deals to find people, it's almost like you have a bird eyes view of, of the industry. And it's, it's hard, it's complicated. There's not a lot of women um, on LinkedIn with the tools and with the, the languages and with the experience that those big studios will hire. So it's a little bit about mentoring as well and reaching out and being like, oh, I think you'll be great if you did this, this, and that with your CV. Maybe we can have a chat and talk about that. So it's complicated. It's a complicated topic. There's no yeah. easy solution for it. And in my opinion, the only way to kind of deal with it is communicating and keep talking and keep like bringing your personal experience to whatever job you do, because that has an impact on, on your work, on your team, if you are the first person talking about your experience from that perspective, no one else in that team heard that before, then you're already having a really big influence on that. So that's kind of what I try to do. And it's a little bit on, you know, do as much as you can, knowing that you won't change the world in a day, <laughs> kind of keeping the expectations uh, normal. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, it's, it's a big responsibility. And, I can, and, you know, I completely agree with you, like you're talking about, I, I'm sure it's, it's not just an easy conversation where you can be like, you know, one plus one equals two here. And, and, you know, we can move on to something else. It's definitely um, a complex conversation uh, as I'm sure it is to have with, with companies and, and agencies and recruiting and all that. Um, but no, I mean, I definitely agree. I think when you have, um, you know, and, and I mean, really just even outside of gaming and esports, I think when you've got different people from, from different backgrounds sitting at the table, especially working, on something creative like a, a video gamer, you know, even sometimes I just think of the entertainment industry as a whole, right? Like working on a movie, even I think the more different points of views you can have and, and the different perspectives you can have, and then kind of mesh those together. I think that's when you can also, you know, really create something special that might relate to a lot more people than maybe just, you know, relating to one or two demographics. Um, so, but it's an interesting conversation, you know? that's completely true and it has been proven that you know diversity in the workplace generates more money it generates more ideas it generates new things and i mean that that's it if you want a bigger gamer player base you need to cater for everyone and the way of catering for everyone is having everyone on your team as well having a very representative team can only play on your strengths because then you're just reaching out more people and why wouldn't you want to do that especially with games it's yeah. such a i have a, a really deep relationship with games because it kind of um, goes along with the the other topic that we might want to talk about which is kind of my writing side mm -hmm. but my my relationship with games was always because i grew up being i'm, I was, I'm very socially anxious per se so growing up socializing with people that was a nightmare that was absolutely horrible and i swear to god i probably played the sims way more than i should just to understand social relationships uh probably shouldn't because it wasn't helpful at all <laughs> <laughs> with, when you are a, <laughs> when you when you're a gamer um not everyone but depending on the types of games you play and i tend to think that with less uh first person shooters and a little bit more with RPG kind of styles, you are already a person that not necessarily don't feel comfortable with other people, but you're looking for your community. You know, you have other interests and growing up playing games, you find people with similar interests and then you build your own little community. So for me and with games and with the whole diversity and inclusion thing, it comes back to that first thing that, you know, nerds weren't popular. You didn't have friends. You, you didn't have a girlfriend slash boyfriend. You were just at home playing video games on a Friday night together with loads of other people at home playing video games on a Friday night. So the sense of community, in my opinion, should be so much more than what it is right now. So it should be... It shouldn't be about gender. It shouldn't be about ethnicity at all, because the only thing that's connecting all of us is that we prefer to be home playing now and then. And that's great. <laughs> so I just kind of try to always push back to that feeling, especially because gaming communities can be really toxic to the, the whole 90s, 2000 nerds that didn't have anywhere to go and it was just home playing games. Like, technically, we are all that person. So we should, we should probably get along better. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, with the, with the writing situation, because I was very, 
I was always very anxious growing up and it's something that I don't know, games were always been kind of my refugee because I didn't want to socialize as much. But then working in the industry and kind of understanding more and more about, you know, what games are popular, what people are doing what, I understood that what I personally love in games is a strong narrative. And, you know, in one of those interviews talking with game designers for a position, I kind of met this uh, game, design, game designer called Thiago. He's also Brazilian. And okay. he was... He's working for Attractive Interactive in Sweden. And he were, he wrote his, his master's thesis was exploring underrepresented narratives, social anxiety in games. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is, I need to spend the rest of my day researching about this. And then, um, yeah, he agreed to do like an interview with me about his thesis and what he was doing. And then I wrote an article after that you can find on my LinkedIn as well. I think uh, the name is Power the power of narratives, uh, games, and mental health, something like that. But yeah, and then I was kind of digging into how can kind of games help with anxiety, which is something that, you know, is probably one of the most common mental health uh, illness in our current situation. So how can games help with that? Games have helped me with so much, but how much more can they do? And then, yeah, kind of writing a lot about mental health and games is something that, really rings a bell with me i was uh yeah why i was doing kind of my research to understand where is the next frontier for games in terms of narrative and helping with anxiety and there's a lot of cool things going on right now so um i forgot i forgot the name of the kind of organization but i can find that i think it's on my article but they are producing games that you in order to finish or complete a goal you need to be in control of your eye movement you need to be in control of your breath you need to be in control of your heartbeat so it's almost like you are playing but to reach your goal you need to be able to control your own anxiety and how fantastic is that that you can do both at the same time so yeah, yeah i'm also reading and studying and researching and writing a lot about that so anyone that's listening uh if this is something that's really interesting for you to please reach out i'd love to have a conversation about it Oh, definitely. I mean, I gotta. I'll have to go back and look at your article and see um what game. And so, because I've always struggled with anxiety, and I've talked about it like maybe once or twice in the podcast. But, um, I mean, since I was younger, I, I, for me, it wasn't social anxiety. It was, I don't even know really how you would describe it. I would just get kind of panic attacks when I was younger. I don't get them as much now because I've educated myself a lot more and and kind of had people like talk to me and. And kind of understand, you know, why do you have anxiety attacks? Why do people have panic attacks and, and all that? So I've gotten a better grip on it. But I definitely agree. And, and I think a lot of people agree that, you know, anxiety is like the worst mental health right now. And so if there are games and resources like that for people that struggle with it, I always definitely vouch it and, and definitely, you know, recommend people people do that because you can definitely gain control of it. It's, you know, you're always bigger than anxiety is, is what I try to think in my mind. So. Oh, and, that, and that's completely true. And it, it comes back for me from that, that same old saying that, you know, parents used to say that video games are making kids more violent. And even though I don't agree with that at all, I think the world, the whole world is making kids more violent. It's not video games small. I think video games are merely a representation of what we are living. But, you know, that's another conversation. <laughs> and I, I think that how amazing is that games could also be there helping with anxiety helping with so many other mental illness situations and maybe kind of cleaning a little bit of all of the game's reputation of being violent and making kids you know do crazy stuff or not having any friends or just stay in their rooms with no showers uh, i think games can be and they are so much more than that so that's kind of what i kind of try to write about um i found here the organization so kind of like a project uh, the oh. name is the Insight Project. Okay. And they are developing prototype games. They measure like eye gaze and heart rate, breathing to create methods of therapy uh, for mental disorders. So, for example, in one, one game that they have, uh, the player needs to kind of uh, sail across the sea, but their heart beats is going to make the sea goes faster. So you need to, it's, it's more challenging the more anxious you get to it. So it's a nice way of kind of controlling it. And yeah, I think that is, in my opinion, the next frontier. I think games are a brilliant medium of telling stories and making people engage and feel very connected and feel part of a community. And honestly, those are 
all the, 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 especially the community part that is so important to overcome mental illness, making sure that you have the support group, that you have that network with you. And you know, what better medium to do that than through games? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with it and I agree. And I think we're starting to have, like you're saying, more conversations about, you know, the stereotype of, of what benefits or negatives, you know, people think video games have and actually truly understanding, you know, like like you said earlier, is, you know, what other barriers or what other ways can video games actually provide to help people? Because like you said, maybe it helped you with anxiety or, or learning a new language, but maybe for somebody else, there's a new barrier that maybe people haven't focused on as much and, and video games could also be used to tackle that. Um, so, but, but it's cool because I also think, especially as like esports has rised, it's also shine that light back on gaming. And, and since I guess maybe esports, I guess is more relatable for people as, you know, as a whole, maybe just compared to just the gaming industry. Um, I think people are starting to look at it a little bit more and educate themselves a little bit more than maybe hadn't before. Um, but I'm with you. I, I definitely think there's far more uses and, and, and barriers to break. And that's definitely where we're going to. I was having this conversation with a colleague a couple of months back that in terms of graphics, uh, if you see, you know, what the graphics look like in the beginning of, you know, the year 2000 up into now is insane, is ridiculous. Um, I don't know if you, if you are one of those people too, but for me, when it gets to that very ridiculously realistic point, I can't play it anymore. It's just far too much for me. <laughs> but the truth is, unless we make significant breakthroughs in hardware as well as software in terms of graphics, we will reach a point into that is it. This is as realistic as we can get. And, and you can see that with loads of games, you know, getting more and more realistic, but you cannot let your narrative and your storyline and your gameplay fall back into, okay, this is a pretty game can't be all of that. It can't just be that. And specifically towards, you know, you always have your triple A racing games that will be very photorealistic and that's fantastic. But you're also going to have your small indie games that are almost like exploratory games. Um, I don't know if you heard of Gone Home. No, I have not. Um, it's, a, it's kind of an interactive exploration simulator. And after spending like one year abroad, you come back home and you find the house empty. And the whole game is just kind of go around the house and understanding and trying to pick up the pieces to find out what happened during this whole year. Um, I, I am sure that maybe 15 years ago, would you even consider that a game? You're technically just exploring your space and, and being perceptive and noticing what changed. But yeah, games nowadays, they are so much more than... You know, average hero going on adventure, finishing his goal and coming back home. Games nowadays, they can pretty much do anything. And if, if they can do anything, we might as well put it to use for something good, which is helping with mental health disorders, which is something that everyone is dealing with, specifically right now during Corona times. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it couldn't be more relevant than right now. I feel like. <laughs> Oh, and I want to ask real quick before before we uh, start to wrap things up here. So the, the writing, is that for you? Is that like a hobby freelance thing you do? Or is that tied into either of those other roles with studio types or games and women in games ambassador? I feel like uh, writing is one of those things that will help you with anything. And specifically for me, and it's one of my big insecurities, well, English is not my first language. So the only way of kind of learning and it is practicing and writing is such a amazing way of practicing it um i've always I've, i was always a writer even really really small rewriting stories from games and movies always doing that and um kind of when i started with games and things like that i was just writing down the interviews i was having with people the pieces and bits of information that i was getting around and then it just kind of came up as an article or came up as something and uh, my whole team as stereotypes they they, they are very they really like when I kind of write and I put social media and content out because that's something I really enjoy doing. So I think writing for me is a bit of everything. It's something I do when I'm too stressed or too anxious, but it's also something I do when I'm stressed and anxious working. So I think writing is one of the only constants in my life so far. Yeah. No, well, that's awesome. And I mean, I think that it's cool that you've 
you know, I guess we could say almost intertwine that within, you know, your other roles and, and for you, it's kind of an outlet um, and a way to express yourself. And I think that's, that's really awesome. I mean, it's taking a step back. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of taking, you know, taking in the whole episode. And I think definitely what I've learned and, and maybe people who are listening into the episode have learned is that, you know, I think maybe people could look at recruiters and think it's just this one thing that you do like, Oh, recruiting that, that makes sense. You just do this, this and that. Um, but I think it's definitely maybe hopefully open the eyes to people that there's a lot of hats that you have to wear. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, processes behind getting people to jobs, the the impact on their lives. Um, so it's definitely been really fun and, and interesting to hear about. Thank you. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say to people, because uh, recruiters have a really, really bad reputation. Uh, when I say really bad, I mean it. People hate us. So uh, just next time, next time a recruiter comes talking with you. And, you know, if, if, if that recruiter seems like a nice person and whatever he's saying or he or she's saying seems interesting, you know, just just say your interest or not interest. We are working with so many people and trying to find something that works for everyone and just trying to make people happy. So we are we don't want to disturb your day either but we think we have something that could be interesting for you if, if, if that's not the case and that's not the case but it's at least in my opinion so much better to know what else you could be working with than just you know one day you lose your job and you need to find something else so yeah just my message is be nicer to your local recruiter <laughs> <laughs> don't burn any bridges that unite you know you never know what might happen a year or six months from now is, is how i like to look at it um, yeah exactly <laughs> Well, Sarah, where can we will for everybody listening to the episode, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that's really where it seems to work. We'll link all of Sarah's social media, um, her, her Twitter and LinkedIn and all that so you guys can connect with her. But Sarah, where are the best social medias for, for people to find you at? And what is your name on there? You can find me on Instagram and Medium as at Jujupter. That would be J-U-J-U-P-T-E-R, which is also a very long story about star signs and me not finding a login for my games. So that's what I came up with. So if you look for me on Steam, if you look for me on League of Legends, that's probably going to be my nickname. A variation of that with one first or one at the end, but that's it. And for my Twitter, that would be at S. T Machado underline UK. And if you're looking for a new position or you're just in the game in the gaming industry and you just like to reach out, on LinkedIn, my name is uh, Sara Cristina Machado, no H on Sara. So yeah, just please talk with me. I don't bite. Uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm medium everywhere. Just reach out and let's have a chat. Definitely, definitely. Well, Sarah, thank you again for for coming on and and sharing about you know your background, your your day to day, your roles, kind of all the things that you're involved in. Um, you're doing a lot of great stuff, so I appreciated you know having you on. It was fun. Thank you so much for uh, anytime. Definitely. Well, for everybody listening, um, if you guys were new to the podcast, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode with Sarah. If you guys are a returning listener um, or you guys have been supporting the podcast for a while, which I know there are a lot of you guys really appreciate it. Um, you know, the show wouldn't have the impact if we didn't have people tuning in. So thank you guys for your support. Uh, and with that being said, we'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lodges Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a five star rating if you've enjoyed this. You can find out more about Lodges by searching on Instagram at Lodges underscore financial on Twitter at Lodges on eFuse at Lodges and on LinkedIn by searching for my name, Juan Rodriguez, J-U-A-N. Following on socials is the best way to be kept up to date with podcast updates and information. Thanks. And you were just listening to the Lodges podcast.